Well, hey there, and welcome to the Saints Church Glory Hills podcast. We're so happy that you joined us today. Whatever you're doing, wherever you are, we believe that God will speak to you through one of our pastors today. Let's jump in. Well, if you have your Bibles today, why don't you turn in them to Mark chapter 12, and uh, the other scripture I have right off the hop is in Matthew. Thank you, Donna. Houston, can you get me to school? Oh, please, yeah. And uh, praise God. That's what my pastor used to say every time he didn't know what to say to people. (laughs) If you have your Bibles, turn them to uh, Mark chapter 12, and I want to start there. And... We're uh, continuing a series right now on uh, finances and giving and all of those good things. But in that, I wanted to start here because it says this, and Keith's going to bring this up on the screen for me. Mark chapter 12, verse 41, it says, He sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money in the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had To live on. And if you want to write it down, a nice title for the message, you could do this. You could write down, Jesus is watching. No, I'm just kidding. That's not my title today. We talked about our hearts, and, you know, it just goes to show again that Jesus was so interested in the heart behind how people gave and and contributed. And uh, uh, the title of the message today is actually three things we all need to know because I wrote the title before. I finished my message, and it was five things we all need to know, but for sake of the amount of scriptures I need to use, I cut it down to three for today, so you're welcome, and uh, why don't we just pray? Heavenly Father, I thank you today that you are here, you're with us, you're speaking to us, and uh, you know, all matters of our life are important to you, and Jesus, we should note that even in scripture, you talked about money and generosity and giving probably more than anyone, and so I just pray that in our hearts and in our lives today, we would be able to hear your voice and your word in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Uh, why don't we turn to Matthew chapter 6, verse 31 to 33 as well. So we have this situation where Jesus kind of positions himself, and he's looking at the heart of people in the temple as they give. And I think that's what we kind of leaned into last week was uh, the relationship and the heart matters are a big thing, and they matter more than we think, especially when it comes to our finances But Jesus knows what pulls on our heart, and so he's watching this situation. But in Matthew chapter 6, we see this, verse 31, it says, Therefore, do not be anxious, saying. Anybody ever been anxious when you look at your bank account? Anyone been anxious about driving to the grocery store because you just don't know anymore what it's going to cost you every time you go to roll up and tap your card? saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and 
Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Now, here's an interesting thing. God knows that you need them all. God cares that your family is clothed, fed. You know, he he cares that you are nourished, that you are able to prosper in your wholeness of life. He, He knows that you need all these things, but verse 33 says this. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. There is a pattern in our lives where often we seek after the things that we think we need and we get anxious about them and we get worked up about them, but God calls us to a place of deeper relationship that says if we would seek first our relationship with God, his kingdom, his principles, he will add these things to our life. Because why? Because he knows what we need and what he wants to do in our lives. And, and this is so true even when it comes to our finances. And talking about money, uh, it's never easy for many, many of us, but especially in church, because, you know, all the time, people just, church just wants your money. Uh, no, God wants your money. I just live off of it, but um, <laughs> that's not what it's about. It's actually about the heart and, and the principles of God and understanding that principles are a powerful thing. And, and there is a way of God that is better than we can direct and live our own lives. And, and that's why the one scripture says the Gentiles worry about and chase after these things. And, and it was a distinction saying the people of God were called to live a different way. Even from the time of Exodus when they went out into the wilderness, the people of God were called to live differently than the rest of the world. And I would say it's true today, even though it's in the New Testament and we're in the church. There is a way that we live in putting our faith and trust in Jesus before the things of this life that changes the way we walk through this life. And and so we're supposed to live a little bit differently. And as we learn that, one of the things I was very... uh, aware of over the last little while, I actually uh, have seen, you know, in our church in the last two, three years, uh, a changing demographic of people. Um, I would say if you were here six, seven years ago, uh, this church family, Glory Hills, formerly engaged church, was primarily uh, 25 to 35-year-olds with really young kids. Now there's just some of us that are at 40 having more kids, and we're uh, trying to keep that rolling, and but one thing I prayed for uh, when Brandy and I stepped in as the lead pastors at Engage at Glory Hills here is that, Lord, we need a generational church. We need to represent all generations. Because uh, if you're here and you're over 60, uh, six years ago, you would have been the only one or two. Like, there were very few, right? And some of you are here and you're smiling and I love you. And God has, from our more seasoned saints down to the new babies that keep rolling into this house, uh, he has been expanding and changing our church. But in that comes a whole different level of understanding where people are at. And I would say that we have a lot of people that maybe you got saved in the last five years or you came back to the Lord. And uh, I would say this to you, that uh, maybe you haven't been fathered or mothered properly in the faith. And I, I think there's a real call on this house, and uh, since some of you missed Thursday night prayer, uh, we had a, a great prayer over some men in our church uh, to see a, a new wave of fathering and, and leadership of uh, showing people this is what God calls us to. Because anyone can be a dad and reproduce and 
make a child, father sticks around. A father walks through the ups and downs. A father teaches things that we need to know. And I, I was really praying, and I'm like, God, like, just so you know, I really don't love teaching on this very often. Uh, it's not in my forte. It's not my favorite thing. But I really felt the Holy Spirit say, okay, if you have three teenagers, if you have a bunch of teenagers and you don't teach them in any area of life, money's just one of them, any area of life, have you been a good father? And I was like, no, because then, then you're trying to be the father that's fixing their mistakes after the fact where you didn't actually teach them how to walk through those things ahead of time. And they'll still make mistakes, and you still got to help them out from time to time. And then I felt God convict me and say, okay, then why won't you father my people that maybe haven't ever been taught this? And so, you know, I can say, I'm sorry if no one's ever walked through the principles of tithing, offering, giving, uh, diligence, faith, generosity in your life. Uh, but then I'm also going to say you're welcome because I'm going to do what God's asked me to do. And then you get to decide how you walk that out and live with it. But I actually believe because what I've learned and seen in my life and what God's called us to as his family is that every single one of us needs to grow. And some of us want milk. We want it to come free and easy and fill us up. And sometimes there is more solid food of the principles of the faith that we need to chew on, work out in our lives. And they actually make us stronger. And we think sometimes, well, I'm losing out. No, no, no. The principles of tithing, giving, generosity, they actually make us stronger in who God's called us to be. So here we go today. This is what we're going to do. Three things that I think we all need to know, and we'll get to the other 12 next week, you know, uh, something like that. But... Uh, the first thing I think every single one of us needs to know when it comes to Jesus, money, and me, and finances is this. Freedom and financial release are very closely connected. I think we don't see that sometimes. Freedom in our lives and financial release are very closely connected, but maybe not how you think. Because people are like, well, if I want freedom... Uh, and I find freedom, well, all of a sudden the financial heavens are going to open and I'm going to be prosperous and all those things. Well, God's plan is to prosper you, is to bring you into an abundant life. But uh, I think we have to start looking at this a different way because when God opens a door of abundance to us, it's spirit, soul, and body. And the natural things of life, the spiritual things of life, and he brings us into things. And it's not just for us. It's actually more about of a release for others and a release of the things we cling to and hold on to so we are free to be the people that God's called us to be. And freedom and financial release tend to go hand in hand. And if we want to see this in Scripture, we go back all the way to Exodus. But I'm going to start in Psalm uh, 105 here, and there's a verse. It says, he brought them out of, he, then, then he brought out Israel. So he's talking about bringing them out of Egypt with silver and gold, and there was none among his tribes who stumbled. Or some of the older translations say there were no feeble among them. And so the picture when God brings them out of the Exodus, out of Egypt, they had been in bondage, they had been in slavery for so long. God says, I want to bring them out of that. And he brought them out with silver and gold. But the key in this verse was he brought them out. Sometimes our heartstrings are so tied to things of this world because we fail to see first that God is the one that brought us out of sin, darkness, the life that has held us back, uh, broken us down, and without Jesus, we would still be slaves to our sin and trespasses. And when we realize the freedom that Jesus brings, he brought us out of that life into something new, 
He doesn't bring us out empty-handed. He, brings, he brought them out with silver and gold. There was a, a financial abundance that came in this scripture, and I'm going to explain that. And then there was none feeble about them. He brought them out in a new health, in a new faith, in a new trust on how it was to be with God's people. And in Exodus chapter 11, verse 2, God did a really strange thing, and he tells Moses, and I'm glad I'm not Moses, he tells Moses to tell the people, and he says, speak now in the hearing of the people that they may ask... Every man of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor for silver, gold, and jewelry. Like, God sometimes asks me to say strange things, but I'm like, Lord, Moses had it rough. We're leaving Egypt, just so you know. You've all gone through the ten plagues, all this stuff. And he says, hey, tell the people before you leave, go knock on your neighbor's door and be like, hey, uh, this journey is going to be long. I don't know what we're going to buy in the wilderness, but I need some silver, gold, earrings, jewelry, whatever you got, I'm willing to take it off your hands. And I'm not asking anyone here to do that. Like, that's bold moves. And, like, as a leader, you're like, oh, Lord, why did I agree to speak for you and do what you say? And so Moses asked, and they go, and, and the Egyptians gave them silver, gold, earrings, all those things. Guess what? They couldn't do anything with it until God showed them what it was for. And I think sometimes we get into our lives, we're like, oh, I'd love that. God, I want silver, gold, I want all these things, I want to build my life up. We think it's about us. They didn't even know what it was for, because in the wilderness for 40 years, there was nothing they could do with it except build God's house, build their dependence on him. And so I always wondered, and if you ever wondered, why when you come into, uh, you know, Leviticus and Deuteronomy, and they're, they're building the tabernacle, and they're like, where did all these materials come from? There was no stores or places to buy them from. It came from Egypt. God says, it's all mine anyways. So he says, I'm going to get some of it for my people. We're going to go into the wilderness. And so it says when they, they were asked to bring silver, gold, and earrings for the building of the tabernacle for God's house, they all came and gave willingly because the reality was, is like, how fashionable do you need to look uh, in the wilderness? I better get my bling on for gathering manna every morning. And that guy sees me, I'm going to look good while I gather for my family, you know. The ladies are thinking that. The guys are probably not thinking about anything other than themselves. And they have all of this stuff. They're like, call me when dinner's ready. I wasn't there. I'm just, that's just conjecture. But release from the bondage of Egypt and, and the release of finances went hand in hand. Well, why is this? Because when God wanted to do something, he wanted to make sure they had what he needed. And I think in our lives, one of the principles we need to understand is God will release things into your life because he will ask for it sometimes. But if we don't remember what we were released from and how we gave ourselves to Jesus, we hold on to things and we think it's ours. But when it goes hand in hand on a spiritual freedom and release, when God says, hey, can I have that? You're like, Lord, you can have anything because of what you did for me and how you've led me and worked in my life. But in Acts chapter 2, we see the same principle. 
In Acts chapter 2, when the church is born, when they repent of their sins, when the church starts to grow, in Acts chapter 2, verse 44, it says this, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. Or it means they took care of one another. They started selling belongings. They started taking care of people. Why? Because they began to realize how good Jesus was, that the Messiah had come, that he had broken the sin, the slavery, the bondage, all the things that they had tried to fix by ritual and right and appease the judgment of God through sacrifices, they realized that through Jesus they didn't have to do that anymore. And when they found that kind of freedom, they said, God, I want other people to experience it too. And sharing my life with them is going to be the best way that they see what I have in Jesus. Because my stuff isn't as important as my relationship with Jesus. The things that I have don't control me anymore. In Acts chapter 4, verse 32 to 35, it says this, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that of uh, any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and the great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought their proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as they had need. See, when a boldness went forward, when the church started moving, they said, hey, injustice shouldn't be happening. People shouldn't be going without. And because I have everything I need in Jesus, I can sell that piece of property, and I can give it to people who would distribute and make sure that those who are struggling and suffering can not only find a new step and place in life, but they can experience the love and grace and goodness of Jesus through it. And sometimes I think we think on a Sunday we have a giving moment and we understand that this is important, but I don't think we actually believe that, God, if I would be so free in my heart, in my spirit, in my life because of what you've done in my life, that I could actually be a releasing, generous person, and that changes people's eternity. It might change the way we give. It might change the way we treat our houses, our cars, the things that we have, the way we can share among one another. I'm not asking you to, this property's not big enough. I'm not asking you to sell everything and move here. And <laughs> We're not doing that. That's kind of weird. But I think as people here that there are those who have need, People who have experienced the grace and goodness of Jesus, they get those promptings in their heart and say, Lord, this is what this is for. This is how I can show somebody that I'm not bound by this stuff. I'm actually free in Jesus to be a blessing and to be generous and giving towards others. And freedom and release in finances go very close hand in hand. But sometimes we forget how much God freed us from before, uh, and, and so we hold on tightly because we think, i got to take care of everything for me. And I'm just going to tell you, Jesus already took care of everything for you. Next week, we're going to talk about diligence, debt, generosity. Like, we're going to talk about those things. Like, you have to be wise and walk through those things, but... Man, when God's asking you, you can trust him. Because if he can free you from sin, bondage, and slavery, he can take care of that extra 50 bucks you give to the single mom down the road who needed groceries this week. And we can trust that, God, you're using that to show people how much you love them. Okay, so that was number one. Everyone say number two. Number two, second thing we all need to know, tithing. Tithing is a test. 
probably one of the most difficult tests that we face in life, but it's actually more about a test between us and God than a test just on us. Tithing is a test. And when we talk about tithing, when we talk about giving in church, um, there's people who want to you know, argue this, and they want to talk about, well, what were the actual percentages, and this and that, and if you get back to uh, studying the words, tithing literally means a tenth, and one of the things I need to go back to is that the first mention of a tithe is in Abraham and Melchizedek in Genesis, and the last mention is in Hebrews, and when you study and you build doctrines and theologies, first and last mention, the law of that in hermeneutics is very important to understand how that works hand in hand, uh, and so instead of trying to separate out in this and that, is God doing it then? Is he doing it now? And how do we build our theology around that? We need to start looking at those things. And uh, truthfully, if we talked about giving and sacrifices and all the things of the Old Testament, it would be closer to like what the government takes for taxes from you. Because like the way the tithe worked and the worship offerings and the sin offerings and the grain offerings and all that stuff, because they were the people of God and there was no government, there was a theocratic government, it was under God, the way they gave actually taxed them as a nation (laughs) and it made everything work. And yet in the New Testament, God still asks us for things and then he uh, talks about generosity and, and trust so much in the New Testament. And I just want to read Luke chapter 20, verse 21 to 25, because when uh, the disciples were struggling with this, Jesus said this, it says, they asked him, teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly and show no partiality, uh, but truly teach the way of God. So they're saying, they're saying, God, what is the way of God when it comes to money? Is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? But he perceived their craftiness, and he said to them, Show me a denarius. Whose likeness and inscription does it have? And they said, Caesar's. And he said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And he basically saying, guys, listen, there are governments, there are structures, there are things in this life. You may not like it. I mean, we could get into a theology of authority being appointed and placed by God and how we walk through certain things. Just give to Caesar what's Caesar's, and, but give to God what's God's. He's saying there are principles on money that all of you need to take in and listen and understand about. And so what I'm going to do right now is I just want to do a few highlights on tithing and a few benefits of it. This is where it got really dicey, where I was like, I need to cut this down from uh, five to three, because this... In tithing, what we need to understand, Keith, I'm going to skip over some of these scriptures. We're not going to read all of them. But one of the things we need to understand about tithing is that the house of God and tithing go together. If you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 28, when Jacob has a dream, he has a vision from God, he sets up the stone, he calls the place Bethel. This is none other than the house of God, the place of God. It's where he worshipped, it's where he brought his offerings, it's where he brought his tithe. And in Numbers and Leviticus, it also talks about the house of God and the tithe being tied together. Uh, and, and so as we walk through these things, one of the things that we need to know is that the, the house of God and tithing was tied together. Uh, it was where the people came and brought their tithe. And then the other part was uh, no one was exempt for it. It says the priests, the Levites, and the people all gave of a tithe to the Lord in Leviticus. And if you want to talk in New Testament terms, we are all priests and kings in Christ Jesus. And we are honoring Jesus in that. Now, what do I mean when I say the house of God and the tithe go together? 
Your tithe does not belong on the mission field. Your tithe does not belong at the nonprofit that you love, maybe even more than this church. Your tithe does not belong to a family member that you want to send on a missions trip or other things. Those are all offerings. The tithe was for the house of God and God to move his work forward in the earth and to tie us to a place and a home where we are under authority, accountability, and structure where we walk together in unity to see what God wants to do. Now, this is hard for some people. Well, I'm giving. What does it matter? It matters to God. There was things he laid out in Scripture. Other thing we need to know about tithing is tithing is the only time that God challenges man to test his faithfulness. God always talks about watch my faithfulness, see my faithfulness, understand my faithfulness. Tithing is the one place in Scripture where he says, you can test my faithfulness to you. And in Malachi chapter uh, 3, verse 8 to 12, I'm going to read this Scripture here. It says this, will man rob God? What was happening in Malachi, they were back, they're rebuilding, uh, and, and they're saying, well, how would you say we robbed you, Lord, in your tithes and in your contributions? You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me and the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, the house of God, that there may be food in my house, thereby put me to the test as the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there's no more need. Verse 11, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. So God calls the tithe back to the storehouse because he has a plan. He has a purpose for it. He, he calls people to do this, but he says, you can test me in this. And this is a principle I learned as a young boy, as a youth. And this was a hard thing to learn because, you know, even in, um, even in, I don't want to say secular, but in financial culture, people will teach you about uh, saving, investing, and giving as a part of a tax strategy. Let's talk about that. And we don't want to, the amazing thing in Canada, uh, your tithe is ta- it gives you a tax break. Your offerings give you a tax break. I'm going to Slovenia. When Pastor Luca preaches on giving, nothing comes back to them as a credit or a break. And the average living wage there is about half of what we have here. But, you know, a lot of financial advisors would say, you know, it would be great for you to spend 80%, save 10%, and give 10% because that plays back into your tax strategies and things like that. We had a gentleman a couple years back even decide, um, I don't know if I like your church, tell me about your church. He showed up here before Christmas and he said, um, I just don't want the government to have more of my money, so here's uh, $5,000. If I get a tax return, it means the government gets less money. And I was like... Well, I mean, that's your decision, and I'm happy to receive any gift you want to give to the church. And, uh, but there's principles that we use in that, and, and I think what we have to learn and what we have to teach our kids is it, it should be that way, but we often say, okay, you spend, you save, you give. We need to reverse it. I give, I pay my tithe, I save, and then I spend what's left over. And I trust God when I put his principles and his priorities in order that he is trustworthy and I'm testing his faithfulness to me because of how I've ordered my life according to the word of God. And that's tough for people. Because it means, 
I'll leave this up to you, but it means when you look at your paycheck, did God get his first? And I look at mine, and I know the government got theirs first. So I redo my calculation to say, God, what's really yours first? And then have some RSPs, some savings. And then we say, this is what our family has left, and we need to learn to try and live in this realm and see God be faithful through that. And let me tell you, some days it's hard. I mean, I'm not driving a brand new car out there. If you envy my 2007 Dodge Caliber, good for you. But Brandy and I decided a long time ago, before our kids were even born, that we were going to work these principles and we were going to try and figure out how to live within the means we needed in different stages of life to raise our kids the way we felt God called us to, to spend according to that. And we all have things we like and we spend on, and that's good. You should enjoy your finances, some things in life, but I'm just challenging you, would you test yourself and test God's faithfulness in the tithe and say, God, I'm going to give you what's yours first? The other truth is, is that you pay your tithes and your offerings. There's a weird scripture in Matthew 23, verse 23. It says this. He, he goes after the Pharisees and the religious teachers. Is that in there, Keith? Matthew 23, verse 23. I'm all over the map here. Basically, he says to them, though, even in the Pharisees and the religious right, he says, you're still doing what's right. You're paying your tithes. Uh, and he brings it back to you're paying it, but your heart's so far from God. And so you can even do the right thing and not have the right heart. And, and that brings me to the next point on highlights of tithing is if it was the first and last mention, if we look at those, uh, we see God's heart in it. And so when you get to the first and last mention, actually, I can read this scripture. Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe, mint, and dill, and cumin, uh, and and have neglected the weightier matters of the law. So here's the thing. You guys pay your tithe to every little herb and plant that you grow. You measure it out. You're so perfect in that. He goes, but justice, mercy, and faithfulness, these you uh, ought to have done without neglecting the others. So he says, don't neglect those things. But he goes, you think because you did that, you've measured up to the full call of God for your life. Tithing is just a test. It's the first part of whether or not you're surrendered to God. Then how you live out of your life, how you are faithful towards people, how you bless, how you care for the widow, the orphan, the, the, the hungry, those that are in need. That is actually the fruit of what comes out of being trusted in the test of your finances. But when we talk about tithing in Scripture, the very first mention of it is in Genesis, and there's a guy named Melchizedek, and if you want to break your theological brain, try to understand Melchizedek in Scripture. Abraham goes, he chases down these uh, bandits and kings that uh, defeat Lot. He goes and rescues them. He gets plunder and spoil. And he meets Melchizedek in this place. And Abraham offers him a tithe and offerings of all that God had done for him through that season. And people are like, this is a weird thing. And then Melchizedek disappears. And then we start hearing about him in Hebrews again. Well, the simplest form and way to put this is, is Melchizedek is a picture of Jesus. And are we surrendered to him? Is he, it says that he is a priest forever. And that's how we get that idea. And then in Hebrews, it talks about Jesus who's a priest forever in the line of Melchizedek because it was a Christophany. There's this, this forever reigning ruler and he is the ultimate one. Like, you're not tithing to me, to this church, 
only, you are actually honoring and bringing it. It's not to the feet of the apostles. Your great high priest, Jesus. You're offering back part of your life to Jesus and saying, God, here it is. And so in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 8, it says this. It says that in the... In one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in other cases, by one whom is testified that he lives. And so we have to start looking at our finances, not as things that are simply benefiting mortal men and women and this side of eternity. They are actually there, and they are a testimony that we honor a Savior who lives forever And we are honoring him in every area of our lives, including our finances. So those are some highlights of tithing. Well, now here we go. Benefits of tithing. Tithing actually produces a canopy of blessing in your life, and it brings judgment against the devourer. 1 Peter 5.8 talks about how um, the devil is roaring about. He's, He's roaming about like a roaring lion, seeing who he can devour. There is a devourer that wants to steal, kill, rob, and destroy, and God's saying, Test me in my faithfulness to you. Let me put my covering over you when you honor me in your finances. That the devourer, he'll still roar. He'll still move about. The the bill will still pop up when you least expect it. But you can know that when you have put your trust in Jesus and you have tested him and his faithfulness, God will prove himself faithful. And the devourer won't consume you. And this is what God was saying in Malachi. And I don't know about you. I want churches that stand up and rise up and, and, and we give and we tithe and we honor God, not because we, we are, have our arm twisted or we're guilted into it. It's because we want to walk in the testing and trust of the faithfulness of our God and we want to keep the devourer at bay. Because I tell you what, if we keep the devourer at bay in this house, we will keep the devourer at bay in this community. Because the strength of this house will affect the strength of your house, which will affect the strength of your neighborhood, which will affect the strength of our schools and our workplaces. Why? Because people who trust God will walk with their head held high in difficult times knowing that inflation and governments and rise and fall of interest rate is not our end. But we walk in a faith and truth that we serve a God who is faithful. And when I honor him and I trust him, I have his peace and his covering and I'm going to be okay but we need people that learn to walk in that so that's a benefit of tithing I think that one's pretty good how about another one a clear conscience I tell you one thing there's nothing better than a clear conscience you know you ever ask your kids are you telling me the truth oh yeah 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 And then their stature and mood and how they carry themselves all day long changes. They come, can I talk to you? And you just see that lift. Clear conscience, it lifts. I don't know about you. I just just want to say, God, if I've promised you something, if I've made a vow, if I've surrendered my life, I want to walk in a clear conscience that I may sin and I may miss the mark at times and I may fall short at times, but in my heart of heart, I know I'm trying to do everything I can to honor you. And so I can have a clear conscience that, hey, a sin of omission or a miss doesn't leave me condemned and shamed and all those things because uh, on the most part of my life, I'm walking with a clear conscience before my Heavenly Father that I'm doing the things I said. That I would do and the things that I said I walk in Acts uh, chapter 24 verse 16 says this it says so I always take pains to have a clear conscience towards both God and man it may take pain to give your tithe 
and have a clear conscience before God and man. It may be painful in seasons to give or sacrifice what God has asked you to do to help someone else, but if you want to walk with a clear conscience as you go through life between you and the Father, not because he's not condemning, he's not shaming, but here's the thing. You ever had God tell you you should do that to help someone or you should say that to them and then you just feel bad about it later? Like, I've been there. I've had God ask me at times in Red Robin on the east end of Edmonton. Rest in peace, Red Robin. <laughs> Have to go to the promised land, BC, to get it now. The west coast, not the blessed coast. They just believe that. Maybe Pastor Brandon Wall from Oasis is listening. But I was in Red Robin, and... I got really antsy, and Brandy's like, what's going on? Like, did someone text you? Did something happen? Like, she knows, like, my brain just shifts to something else. I'm like, no. Lord told me I should pay for that couple's meal. And she's like, well, then pay for their meal. Like, but I also have to go say something to them. She's like, oh, well, God bless you. The Lord didn't tell me that. (laughs) Brandy's like, bless them, pay for them. If you're going to talk to them, we're good. And it's so awkward, so weird. And, and I go up, I talk to them, and I said, hey, I don't know um, if this will mean anything to you, but I, I just couldn't help but notice your family, and like not in a creepy way, but um, <laughs> let me buy your dinner. I just felt God wants you to know that like he sees you here. And they were new to the city, moved in. They didn't, like, and I said, I don't know to say anything more than that. I'm a pastor at a church, and I'm not trying to preach at you, but I said, I just, I just want you to know that like God sees you here. Pay for the meal, thanks, whatever. And then, you know, you feel good after. But there have been times where the Lord's like, why don't you fill that person's car up with gas? Ah, no. Dollar fifty-seven. Uh, Lord, I think that I rebuke the enemy. <laughs> but then you go away and your conscience is like, Lord, I wish I would have taken that opportunity. Because the Holy Spirit doesn't bring that guilt and that shame. But like, we in our own, is like, I had an opportunity to honor God and I didn't. And it, and it, And it strikes our conscience, but my pastor used to say this, our conscience works like a a triangle on the inside of our chest. And and when it spins and when God asks you something, it kind of like, it pricks at your heart, it hits you in your stomach sometimes. But the more times that we ignore it, those edges just, they round off. And sooner or later, God just stops asking us to step out and do things because we've so we've kind of like just seared hearing his voice in those little moments where he wants to move in, and, and, and he can't ask things of us because we're not listening anymore. But I want to clear conscience before the Lord that that stays sharp, and when he asks of something, I'm quick to obey so I don't feel the pangs of that coming around time and time again. And so a benefit of tithing is it gives us a clear conscience before the Lord. Uh, one of the last benefits of tithing is this, is it it puts clear priorities of putting God first in all areas of our life. I don't know about you, but I want to have clear priorities and say, God, I'm going to put you first in every area of my life. And that's tough because uh, we are selfish people. We are bent on taking care of ourselves first. And uh, if you ever wanted to realize how selfish you are, have kids, because uh, that will show you when you have to sacrifice for others where God's working in your life. And, and, and I, but I don't want to just be someone that puts God first in uh, my family. I need to. 
but I need to put him first in my thought life. I need to put him first in my finances. I need to put him first in how I raise my kids. I need to put him first in how I'm accountable to everyone here, how I handle the word. Like there are things that we got to give God the first place in our life because if we're not, we're actually not offering our best. And I promise you when we offer God what's first and our best, he can do so much more in us and through us than we could hope for or imagine. So number one is that freedom and financial release, they go closer hand in hand than we think. But number two, tithing is a test. Number three, everyone say number three. Everyone say praise God, we only have three today. I'll maybe have uh, just the keys come back up, please. And then we're going we're gonna to wrap this up, and I'm going to pray for everyone, and then Johnny's going to close us out. Give him a heads up on that. And thank you all for coming, but... The third principle I think we all need to work into our heart when it comes to tithing, financial handling of our money and how it works with the kingdom of God is, I think this is important and I couldn't leave this one till next week. It's that worry will work against your willingness to open your hand to God. Worry works against our willingness in hearing God and the kingdom of God time and time again, no matter what area of life it is. Matthew chapter 6, verse 31 to 33, God says this. He says, I know that you need these things. Why are you anxious, worrying about what you'll wear, what you'll eat, what you'll drink? The rest of the world scrambles after those things, but God says, I know you need all of those things. He said, wouldn't you seek me first and let me add these things to your life? Wouldn't you lay your worries at my feet and let them come as I'm working and you'll see how much I care about you? But often worry works against our willingness. And we gotta, we just gotta check our hearts on this one again. Because I worry at times. Atco sent me an email yesterday. I didn't tell Brandy about this. I got one last week. Everyone, that's an amazing story. And then it's like, we're making our bills easier for you to read. And where this, I'm like, no, you're trying to hide all their raised delivery fees and carbon tax and all this. But I'm like, okay, whatever. Like, like I had just got a bill last week. And then last night I get another, I'm like, oh God, no. Like, what now? Those little things, those worries. And it's like, no, Lord you're bigger than this and you're going to give me wisdom and I'm going to work these things out. But often, we close off our willingness in our lives in areas of giving because we're worried. We're worried, Lord, if I give that to someone else, will there be enough for me? There was another time uh, I said to Brandy, I feel like the Lord told me to give like we're like students that we're supposed to give 50 or 100 bucks to some of our best friends and other couples so they could have a date night. I'm like, I want $100 to go on a date night with my wife. But, and you're like, but God, if I do that, we can't go out this month or this or that. Like you're literally, you're living in those. And it does, it, it tests your willingness. And, and, and we just got to get to a place where we say, God, if you're asking, I'm going to be willing. Because the things that hindered people all throughout Scripture was phrases like, I was afraid. 
I was anxious, I was worried. The story I talked about last week where the one guy hides the money in the ground, he says, I hid it in the ground for I was afraid. And God's like, but then I can't do anything with it. And we should so know the faithfulness of our God and his goodness and the blessing he brings into our life. And yes, I get it. Sometimes it's tough. Yes, I get there are rough financial seasons and I'm not the one that'll ever go back and be like, well, you didn't quite meet the standard. Go back and make it right. No, I think God just says, would you start where you're at right now? And would you be willing and would you work with God and would you test his faithfulness? Why? Because I believe as you do, God will start to show you the areas that he is working on in your heart and the hard part about this is it's probably not even just about your money he's going to start working on there's an area that you're not giving me in your life because you're so afraid you were hurt by this person or that organization or this thing and if you surrender that to me God or if you give it to a church again they might hurt you too and you know what the answer is they might but I can promise you is that it is God who will prove his faithfulness to you and we cannot let our worry if people misuse or abuse or, or use us to be the thing that stops us from giving to God. Because people will fail you. I will let you down at times. I won't get it right every time. But you're not serving me. You're not serving the leadership of this house. You're not serving this church. We are serving Jesus together. How do we do a church? One step at a time to see that his faithfulness would spread so far beyond anything we can do in this community. But worry will work away at your willingness to open your hand. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7 says this, and this is my prayer for us as a church and us as individuals, that each one would give as he or she has decided in their heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves someone who gives because they've surrendered their hearts to him. Because they're stepping into the principles of his word that are powerful and God says you can test my faithfulness in this. And then it also talks about how when we surrender in this area we are partners with God. I just realized I can't do any of this on my own. This church is becoming great and it's growing and it's spreading and we're seeing it again. But guess what? None of us are the sole purpose and reason that is happening. It's happening because we are partners with God and we have not let worry stop us from being willing to serve those that need help, to open our hands, to open our doors, to let God be the leader of his house and lead us forward. But it starts in our hearts and a lot of times if we cannot surrender our finances to God we better be aware that there will be a whole lot of other areas it's very easy for us to not be faithful or honoring him let's stand this morning I just want to pray over you and then we're going to get Johnny to close because I think as we continue in this and we grow The Lord is just going to keep teaching us. I'll say this. I had one person in this church, and I won't say who, tell me 
Tell people to tithe for a year, and if they don't see a difference in their walk with God and their family and their trust and their finances, that the church will pay it back. And then they said they'd back it. And I said, that's a conversation I need to have with our financial directors, because I'm not going to say that. But I say this to say, there are people that have understood the principles of God and seen his faithfulness at work, and they believe in it that much. And I just want to encourage you to dive deep into God's promise for your life and test him in it. Amen. Heavenly Father, I thank you today for every single person here. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your goodness. I thank you that on the cross, you were the one that paid the price. You gave it all. You made a way for us when there was no way. But God, I pray that out of our love for you and seeing how much you have set us free from, we would become those that are honoring, that are willing, that are faithful, that trust you in every area of our life, including our finances. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Hey, thanks for joining us today. If you have any questions or are looking to get connected in any further way, head to saintschurch.ca, and we would love to meet you.